Linux OTC. Welcome, everybody. I'm Bill. I'm Leo. And I'm Norbert. Episode one, guys. Um, yeah, this is our new show. We're really, we're really proud of it. I guess um, we're not proud of it yet. We haven't, we haven't done anything yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I might be proud of it. We'll see. We'll it was see how um, this goes. It felt like a long time coming. You know, it takes it takes a little time to get up and running, uh, get all the stuff set up. But anyway, um, I blame time zones. Time zones are a big issue with these things. Oh, but, I, I, mean, I can I can talk about that. But consider, I mean, I don't know how old you are, Leo, but old. I, I consider 20 years ago, this would not have been possible. It would have been hard enough for just Leo and I to be able to connect and do something like this, let alone connect with people in, on the other side of the planet in real time with video in high definition yeah. and then make a show as though we're all sitting in, in the same room, you know, the... The magic of that is not lost on me one bit. So twenty years ago, I was just getting a hold of one megabit per second oh uh, cable modems, and oh. oh man, for coming from fifty six k, are you kidding? That yeah, was, that no, was no doubt, just amazing. But I look up in the corner of this little thing, and I'm transferring at three megabits per second or so. Um, so definitely not possible, at least in this uh, in this quality. No, not What's even. What's interesting close. is a lot of this. Was mainly is mainly due to bet, better hardware and better infrastructure, not necessarily better software, because uh, a good example I recently heard or read about is AI. We there have been a lot of uh, well breakthroughs in AI, which aren't necessarily breakthroughs because it's not that AI software is a lot more sophisticated than a few years ago. It's just we have a lot faster computing. Uh, well, infrastructure. Yeah. I, I can see yeah. that. And and we have companies that over the last 20, 30 years or whatever have been vacuuming up every single little thing that we do on the internet and then feeding that into the AI and then training the AI on our content. So, you know, uh, a few things had to happen for Jet, Chat GPT to, um, to come in and have a full conversation with you and write the script for this show, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I asked it. I asked it the other day. What what can I do to make my podcast more popular? And it read it well for starters. You? You make sh- yes, I did. <laughs> it gave me a whole bunch of things that no doubt. I mean, you know, they're they're just machine learning models. But uh, it gave me a list of things and wished me luck. <laughs> Good and that's. Luck. I mean, you know, that's the obvious next step in the progression of all this stuff. You know. Well, I feel like if if we wanted to be popular in the long run, we'd been doing a podcast about Kim Kardashian. So, um, <laughs> yeah, here we are. Well, you see, for <laughs> episode that to work, one, seven thousand uploads and downloads. Yeah, for that to work, we would actually have to follow what's happening with the Kardashians. Yeah, and I'm not I don't, sure. I don't even do that in Linux. Don't yeah. think I've ever done yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the thing about I just want to get a little back to the hardware improving because it leads to the argument that, well, if hardware is getting better and better, then it's less and less important to optimize software. You know, oftentimes when, I mean, this often comes up when people criticize GNOME for being quote unquote bloated. Well, 
I wouldn't say it is because loaded with what? I, I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it is bloated because if you just install yeah. GNOME itself, just the GNOME shell on a minimal in a minimal installation, it will usually run about six hundred megabytes of RAM, which is perfectly fine nowadays. I think I, f- I would say it's even on par with something like Mint or something running KDE. I think I think a desktop environment's RAM usage is totally irrelevant, uh, simply because the moment you open up your desktop, you open up a browser, which and that's is using twice as much megabytes of RAM. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to a website that has JavaScript on it, and now you're at two gigs. God forbid you go to some site like Twitter or Facebook or something else that has uh, JavaScript that that has the endless scroll over and over and over, pulling in more and more. Uh, stuff. So, mm. I'm now sites that are a nightmare it. to get on with your phone. Yeah. Oh, I recently yeah, yeah. Finally, got myself to blur HTML and CSS, and I started building my website. It's not in English, so I'm. I don't. It's basically all Hungarian. So, I. Well, you just use Google Translate with it, so it's cool. You gotta. You gotta drop the. You gotta drop the thing. Drop well, the URL. it's 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 mostly for the my the social links. All of which are well, ninety percent of which is Hungarian. But the thing is, I realized how much just how much you can do with CSS, like little uh, flat color style boxes and buttons that you can uh, do the corner corners, rounded corners, and everything. Basically, first I did little buttons with and in and exported them to SVG, and then my friend was like, "Wait, you can actually do this with CSS?" And then he quickly wrote created little CSS buttons for me, which looked ident- almost identical. So it's interesting. I mean, yeah. unless... And unless, it's, better to do it, it's better to do it that way than to bring in a bunch of JavaScript. Uh, yeah, I but think. when it's an, it's an interactive website with a lot of media, I mean, I assume JavaScript is something that's that you that you cannot avoid nowadays. The, the, the less... The less? The, the letter, less better. Less is better. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. The uh, least, yeah. the better. The, yeah, or, something like that. Yeah. Got to add words to it. Yeah. Quick little bit of admin before we really get into this. Um, email the show, linuxotc at proton.me. And our web address is linuxotc.org. Now, I've got links on that site to many of the places where the where you can consume the show including the rss feed um and the as we create social media the links for that will be on here as well so far all i've got is a link to the email and then the discord channel go join the discord channel that's probably i don't know probably where a lot of our energy will be i don't know maybe mastodon and Matrix at some point. I just got on Mastodon a couple weeks ago. I kind of like it. I got on Mastodon you maybe... You kind of like it or you don't like it? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I also just got on Mastodon maybe two months ago. I mean, around the time uh, it gained a lot of traction. I tried it before, but there wasn't a lot of people I would follow, but now there are. But I also realized that in order to actually keep up with my feed, it needs... Time is investment, but then I also tried Twitter because somehow I never got around using the Twitter account that I registered around 10 years ago. It will be 10 years ago in a few weeks, actually, I think. And then I realized, oh, wait, now I have two separate platforms. Uh, that's a lot more time 
to go through each day, so I just kind of don't re uh, look at either of them properly. So I'm just back at back to not using either. So I, I, I just tend to stick to YouTube and I just uh, curate my watch later list. So any, whenever I just, sometimes I just go to YouTube and look at my recommended, I put videos into watch later, look at my feed in my inbox feed, look, put videos into watch later. So when I want to watch videos, I don't have to spend time looking for something to watch. I just go to my watch later and I pick something from there. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and what, what, what's in your watch later is Linux OTC, right? Oh, it will be. Well, not yet Obviously. because we haven't <laughs> uploaded yet. <laughs> uh, it's well, interesting. by the time somebody yeah. sees this, we will have uploaded. Yeah. Can you so imagine somebody going back eight. and and uh, binge watching this and starting with this episode, obviously, you know, and it's like seven years from now and they're watching us right now. I just oh. threw seven years ago. I, seven years, I just threw that out of the middle of my head. But yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, to listen a nice solid number. Who's listening to this in 2030? I hope NVIDIA support is decent by now. <laughs> I hope by now we can just just install something and it works. It won't yeah. be. Not no, NVIDIA. But talking about the social media thing, though, I think it's interesting. The younger generations almost seem to be getting away from uh, social media, or at least that's been my experience. Different some, social media. They're on TikTok now. Yeah. Well, not I mean, for long. Uh, when the when the U.S. federal government bans it, oh, uh, crying out loud, <laughs> may not be, but uh, they'll move to something else. But that's I, I think that's the thing about the newer generation is that they don't they don't have any love for any particular platform. They will move no. whenever they want um, between and both or all of them or whatever they feel like. Whatever their friends are using is quite literally the only thing that is tying them to a service. And when you push them, they'll move to something else because what does it matter? Yeah, I notice it's kind of a regional thing, too, because you go to a lot of places here in the Midwest, even the younger people still have a Facebook, and many of the people around this part of the country, I don't know if this is unique to the United States or not, but people around here don't even have a Twitter. It's just, it's just non-existent. In I assumed it was a lot more popular there than here, because in Hungary, basically, the most I think Facebook Messenger is still the most uh, widespread way of instant messaging. And uh, what's that for the Facebook Messenger? Facebook no, Messenger. Facebook I know Messenger. people that oh. I know people that is their primary, if not the only, uh, source of communication. It's, yeah, that's younger pretty, folks. Well, yeah. I know that my brother, who's uh, a couple of years younger than me, well, I like to think that I'm still young. I'm 26. So yeah, 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 you're old. Now. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> basically, around 26 is where the rate at which your cells die. No, the rate at which all, yeah, the rate at which your cells are created are reproducing. Uh, it gets. Uh, it peaks and starts right. to go down. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we got dark. We got dark. Yeah. So you're telling okay, me I'm slowly uh, dying. I Thanks. might try to edit this segment so that I don't go blank. <laughs> no, you're fine. Okay, so, oh, so you're because, editing the show. Yeah, I, I, I try no, to. No, you're not. I try, I, <laughs> well, I may be. I try to avoid uh, these um, um, noises because I don't like them. But then, if you just go silent, that's also awkward. Yeah, basically, it's not. It's not. The silence is not awkward. Don't do that. It's. I okay. mean, don't, don't think that about the silence. Silence is normal. As a matter yeah, of fact, 
ums are normal and ands yeah. and uh and all that other stuff it's normal but when you're on a podcast yeah. recording and you just go silent the other people have the incentive to say something no you got to go silent and not move that way they think yeah you <laughs> they think you froze yeah. up yeah so what i'm trying <laughs> to say is around the age of 26 the rate of your cells dying starts to be higher than the rate at which they are created so Technically, you can say that that's when you start aging. So hmm. I soon, I, soon enough. Yeah. I saw I saw the rat trials, man. The rats okay. are getting younger, and uh, I need one of those pills. Uh, <laughs> so I could just I'll keep this. This is fine. I'll just stay here. Or uh, if there's a vampire out there, I mean, hey, man, right now, good time. Let's go. Well, if you can do some research and find a way to to elongate the telomes of your of your chromosomes basically your the end of your chromosome starts becoming shorter mm-hmm. shorter and there's some extra useless dna at the end so that's that gets worn off and not the useful dna but when that's gone then the chromosome itself is affected but to jump from tangent to tangent to tangent and back to the original tangent uh, so yeah, I'm 26 and I like to think I'm young and my brother is 22, now 23. And he, I try to get them, I try to get him and my family, my parents to use Signal, but uh, not with much success. So yeah, even among younger people, Facebook Messenger is still kind of popular. Basically, Discord and Facebook Messenger is what the vast majority of people use. I mean, Discord for young people, but for older people, it's pretty much Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Here's an here's a uh, SMS. Um, here's an example of the entropy you were talking about. Here's me at your age. Right? Oh, look at this! <laughs> oh God. Okay, that's enough. They need to they need to fi- fix that <laughs> uh, with the rat thing, like now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I was reading that like they can roll back time uh, as far as how old you are, right? Like to to undo the damage you're talking about to the ends of the telomeres or whatever the whatever whatever. Uh, but they can also roll them forward. So they got rats to prematurely age and That's just useful. look twenty. You know, well, I, I guess us would be like twenty years, but them probably just a couple of years older. And they got all gray and everything. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hey. Uh, hopefully it works in humans, man. I need that. Keep me alive. Well, I don't forever. know. Would would do you think making our lifespan longer would probably affect how humans make decisions? It'll it, it will definitely expedite us destroying the planet because we'll yeah. stop dying and then we'll just keep producing plastic. So you know. Yeah, I I wonder sometimes if a lot of the reasons that we do anything right is because we just there's this built-in time limitation and it affects it affects our our sense of causality or uh, our sense of uh, benefit versus consequence decision making. Yeah. Well, we as, we as humans tend to not do things that are the best for all of us. Um, so you know sometimes yeah yeah sometimes but if i'm asked what's the meaning of life i recently concluded that i would just say to try and be happy and content with your life because that's kind of the upper limit of what you can do as a living thing because the word you know is the word that you perceive 
it's sort of filtered through your brain, everything you know. So if it makes you happy to make other people happy, that's in a roundabout way that can still be seen as selfish because, I mean, in selfish in a sense that making other people happy makes you feel happy and that so so it negates the existence of altruism altogether because there's there's a bit of vanity that goes along with doing the right thing because we like the way that feels when we do the right thing and maybe we like the notoriety that goes along with being known for doing the right thing so norbert what you're saying is the meaning of life is to get as many shots of dopamine in your brain as possible yeah well i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to make it that uh, black and oh, white. I and, am. Yeah. Oh, I am. Yeah. Love my dopamine. <laughs> we're gonna also, we're gonna take this all the way down to uh, <laughs> to, to how it makes us all sound terrible. Yeah, I have to. I <laughs> but mean, honest. I sort of. I kind of been corrupted uh, by my education in biology, so I tend to have that filter as well. That's what they claim happens when you go to college, man. That's what that's what they say. Oh yes, God, I gotta hear that all the I time. I think the most. <laughs> I think the most valuable thing I got out of uh, learning biology is not the knowledge, it's a specific worldview. It's, and it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about a purely materialistic worldview. It's just the more you know about how things work on the lower level in terms of, the, in terms of, in, in nature, it gives you a better context for everything that is happening on like a psychological and societal level. And I also noticed that you said telomere, which I have to applaud you because I said telome, which is a completely different branch of biology. So I'm mixing up my <laughs> I'm mixing up my terms, and you're the one who knows. Listen, man, I I read the genetics. science articles. I don't know what any of it means. Okay, all <laughs> I see is rat got younger. I need that. That's what I take away from those kinds of articles. And then it says things like telomeres and genome and all this stuff, and I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. I'm not I'm sure, sure if I've ever heard that somebody. word before. I'm going to have to yeah. rip that word out to all my trucker buddies. Yeah, yeah. that's right, right. You're Breaker, such Breaker a one nine. Tell- All right, well, okay, episode one. Um, I guess I we thought- should start the show, right? Yeah. yeah. When, when you said it's <laughs> well, going to be an unscripted show, you weren't kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, off uh, the cuff. I mean, it's that's in the spirit. This is where it took us. Yep, and I had absolutely no doubt that um, in, in my considerable expertise in putting together the right uh personalities to make a show like this i i there was no doubt in my mind that we wouldn't have any problem uh for anybody that's unaware at this point the otc stands for off the cuff or at least that was my first intention and then i thought it was there, off the clock okay so there you off go the clock it was off the clock or over and the counter over, over the counter right but like yeah, we were saying we, we don't require a subscription you can get this one this medicine if, over the counter I don't care what you call it, as long as you're here listening, as long as you're here watching, as long as you're uh, interacting with us. That's all I care about. And, uh, of course, use Linux. Hey, did we even talk about Linux today? Uh, I think I mentioned GNOME, but... And then video. I don't know if Yeah, we but were you, can re- use, you can use GNOME on the BSDs, so it's not technically just Linux, huh? No. Mm-hmm. I had KDE and in, in Plasma installed on top of Windows one time many years ago. Yep, BSD-OTC. Can you do that? <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. I couldn't tell you how I did it. It was basically just a, a graphical shell 
sitting on top of Windows, and it barely worked. Yes, but I assume the Windows shell was running underneath because Windows was not designed to run without no. a graphical shell. No, and I don't know how how much what kind of logic they were using behind all of the graphical elements to make that work. If it was just another layer of abstraction on top of the Windows UI that's already there or what, but I know it it worked really really crappy. So, but it was kind of a cool proof of concept, I think. And I couldn't I couldn't tell you for the life of me what version of Plasma that was. It was it was no later than four. It might have been uh, KDE three, but uh, there's there's quite a few open source projects that I used to use on Windows, and some of them were better than others. Yeah, I, yeah I use... for me it was it was all uh, open source stuff, and then I just swapped Windows for Linux and just continued using the same stuff. Yeah, well, what I found was oftentimes these projects, and I'll use. FileZilla as a big example of a open source project that got ported. I suppose it was ported to Windows by a third party, and it's hosted on SourceForge, I think. But if you go and install it, of course, you know it's the it's the old .exe file, and you know the next 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 kind of install, and it's got three different methods of trying to sneak other uh, oh, other right. little applications in, like different types of scans, things that run in your uh, tray and all that. And and uh, a few other projects are kind of the same way. The, the method by which you get this software on Windows is just sus, for lack of Speaking a better Speaking of word. the younger generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we want them here too. But uh, I was never really impressed with the, the way you get some of this software of course now that 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 was before we had the uh the software store on windows and all that now yeah well winget i get pretty much everything i need from winget now and uh that that bypasses pretty much all of that stuff you i've not seen though i guess i have not installed a lot of the uh the software that falls in the sus category uh through winget but um, is winget a community maintained thing so other packages maintained by volunteers or is it ju- or is there a core team that I, I think like everything? the store you submit your own software to winget um so it's not just another front end to the to the same windows store no built no. into the okay. no not at all basically you uh-huh. can you, i think you can package something for winget by providing a url for the exe file and uh, yeah I, it seems to me to be pretty simple like that i mean there's there's likely a manifest and a link and that's pretty much it. So sort of but, like uh, sort of like a template, like in like a build file, except it's not building something. Like when there's an a, when there's an AUR package that is just fetching a dev file and I'm unpacking it and copying the files to their yeah. proper places. So I think it's like yeah, that. I, I except of, you fetch the exe file and then it runs it for you. Yeah, it feels more like Flatpak or Snap than it does uh, that AUR or anything. So it doesn't need administrative privileges to work, or uh, depending on what you're installing. But typically, no, because uh-huh. uh, I think Firefox, if you fetch it that way, installs it under the user account. So, hmm. um, yeah, would would let you bypass the UAC. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, I just run Windows in a KVM for the yeah. very few things that I need it for, 
And yeah. mo- but mo- just like Flatpak, right? I mean, you can yeah. you can use Flatpak and install a lot of that stuff in the user account as opposed to uh, system wide, which right. removes the need to provide a password or elevate in any way. If you only have a single account in a computer, it makes sense to install for a user because you, if you don't need the app to have any privileges, system wide privileges, then you you there's no reason for you to install it that way. Uh, I I install my flatpacks to the to my user directory because I'm the only user. But if you have multiple users on a computer, it it's it it would be kind of chunk to have to install each program for each separate user. Well, not just that applications like Audacity that needs access to third party plugins, the new Audacity that's got all that real time. Oh yeah, I could never figure that out in Flatpak really. Yeah, I well, I mean, it needs to be in a certain directory, mm-hmm. and so I tried to. I went into Flat Seal and I tried to like link it to the directory where it would normally be. It doesn't and like that. That doesn't, doesn't work like either. <clears throat> no, because um, Flatpak has um, specific instructions as to not be able to reach into something. Like Flatpak will not allow itself to do that. So uh, even if you give it permission through something like Flat Seal, um, it's got some hard nose on where it will and will not go. That's interesting. There's got to be a way around that. Well, other than the, just... the way around it is install it in the user account and then look within VAR in your user to to make those changes. Yeah. That's odd. I, I haven't had a lot of good experiences with the native package of Audacity in terms of audio input-output. The only time Audacity works well for me is if I have it as a flatpak. But I never had to go into Platzil and give it permissions to directories. So what scenario are you talking about? What sort of... Well, there's a new feature in the 3.2 uh, releases where it's got these real-time effects that you can apply. VSTs. Uh, they were VSTs. talking about putting that in when they when they took over, yeah. when uh, MuseCore took over. Um, but with the Flatpak, you, it's funny, though. With the app image, it works just fine. And that's their... Uh, that is their preferred or officially supported method of installing Audacity. It's also got the telemetry enabled by default. Yeah, oh, because it's uh, it's compiled by the Audacity Which, team. Which, for the record, I don't care about. I don't um, either. I mean, if, I if I'm worried about it, I'll go in there and turn it off, but I do not care. I also I use Audacity on Windows, but I don't really... <gasps> Windows? How dare you? Yeah, well, I do have Windows, and I kind of He's used probably to on have... Windows right now. Well, I'm on Fedora, of course. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> but all right, all right. when I'm on Windows, I used to have this mindset, even when I after I switched to Linux, that open source software is neat. But when I'm using Windows or Android, which is already which already has closed source stuff in it, then I was like, I might as well just continue using the the usual software I used to use. For example, I still haven't gone around setting up Firefox on Windows. I still have Chrome, even though that on all of my other devices, I use Firefox even on my phone. Yeah. But then I well, start. I, when, I, I, yeah, but then I installed AppDroid on my phone and started replacing my phone apps with open source alternatives. And I realized it, it even if even if the OS has the proprietary Google Play services, it still feels nice to switch to open source pro software. Yeah, so, I do the opposite. Um, I bring the proprietary software to Linux. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't bother me at all um, to do that kind of thing. Uh, it's a platform. I've always been pragmatic enough to where if I can make the open source stuff work without, I mean, a tremendous amount of effort, 
uh, then I'll then I'll go that route. But yeah. you know, there's just times when the you've got something you need to do, and the only option out there is a proprietary piece of software or tool or whatever. And it nobody should ever. I don't know. I don't know how if how you could get along being full stallman because you know the, you're you can't get away from proprietary code on most distributions anyway just because of the firmware the linux firmware package has a lot of proprietary blobs in it so and also your cpu microcode well, the, yeah well, they the have microcode. the libra kernel though they they there is a kernel that comes out with all that stuff stripped out yeah. so as long as your hardware is supported by that kernel then you can at least get the boot going without touching anything proprietary but if you want the microcode so that you can take advantage of the hardware that you paid for and you know, also unfortunately, the, the cpu level vulnerability mitigations you don't need none of that that slows you down anyway <laughs> you get you, you just i'm uh, no just uh just go ahead and turn those off in the kernel anyway uh yeah. so you get your 15% speed back <laughs> yeah i i actually agree with that i used it, to do it and then um and then just kind of did some A-B testing, and by that I mean I rebooted a couple times and uh, after I made the change, and it didn't really feel any different, so I just stopped, just simply because I didn't notice. So hmm. maybe yeah. it shaved off 60 seconds on that uh, that Caden live render, but I didn't notice it, because I walk away. I mean, that, that, the render's going to be an hour, so mm, mm -hmm. I'll be back. This sort of ties back to the original conversation that hardware is so good that software not being as efficient as it could be starts to matter less and less. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the YouTube channel Technology Connections. Uh, the guy reviews and talks about uh, old technology. And in a video, he mentioned that he switched to a laptop from a, a desktop PC for video editing so that he can have a more efficient setup. And uh, to quote him, render time is not work time. If he can just do the editing just as efficiently as yeah. he would on the desktop, but rendering takes longer. He's not, he doesn't have to be at the computer to render. And he also said that he doesn't want to switch to Linux because he wants to work on his computer, not work on his computer. Yeah, well, that, that's that's a huge reason why I use Linux Mint, man. Uh, I, I install it and then I do work. I do not touch as, as far as uh, I change, I maybe change the color, I go to dark mode but all of the configuration that I add on to Linux Mint probably takes about a whole six minutes after the first install. Pretty much never gets touched ever again because I spend my time in Audacity or Caden Live or browsing the web or doing stuff that has nothing to do with a configuration file anywhere. So that's yeah. an interesting question. I imagine our listeners would probably be curious to know, uh, Leo, is that all you're running is Mint? Uh, so I, I keep waiting for elementary OS to come out. Uh, their, their new EOS seven, I think is what it's going to be. That's going to be really where it decides what I, what I decide, uh, moving forward. Oh, that's um, interesting. I likely stay with mint cause it's familiar, but I mean, underneath the hood, elementary is the same and they come with flat pack, uh, out of the box. So, you know, um, it depends on the workflow. And I think Albert, which is, uh, how I launch all my stuff lately, um, it works just fine in both and probably feels a little more right opinion style, right? Uh, in elementary because it behaves like um, like Mac. I've been yeah. donating money to elementary for 
I don't know, maybe going on five years now. Mm. That being said, I don't have a single machine running it. Oh, I'm, man. It, I, I, I enjoy looking at it from time to time because that is one distribution where you can have uh, a good expectation that everything is going to be cohesive and works really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Entry has yeah. Uh, contributed a lot to the overall GTK and Linux ecosystem. So, oh, that's a, anything, it's a labor of love over so there. So, any uh, amount of money you give them will eventually benefit Linux as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I have jumped around quite a bit, but at this point, basically, all my machines are running Fedora. I had to try Fedora in order to start liking flatbacks because even on my do it myself. Uh, Fedora is installed with, with Sway. I'm still in my tinkering phase, but even though it's not just install it and it works, I install it and then I installed Sway and a couple of things. And on Fedora, Sway even pulls Flatpak and Pipeware as a dependency. So it's uh, it's uh, the best choice, I think, if you want to tinker, with, but you also want everything that you would expect to work to work. So yeah. uh, a while back I was trying out, I kept going back to Arch, but since I decided to go full on Fedora, I, I've just been really very content with it. I still have two machines running Arch. I've got this machine running Mint 21.1. Um, both of these are running Ubuntu server mm. because that's the, that's in my opinion, the best choice just because... Hold on, you're not you're not um, angry that when you apt update and apt upgrade, it it gives you like four lines of news. Oh wow! <laughs> I like how that's <laughs> you know people it's always the newest controversy. Oh my gosh, people get over yourself. It, it oh yeah, it's like ads that's being interpreted as ads. It's not ads. It's just um, information. And by the way. L- l- uh, Ubuntu server has had like uh, something on there about Kubernetes and microcates yeah. and that for the longest time. Nobody said a word, you know. Yep. It just they throw a little something in there extra and cheap uh, whiz. Come on, folks. But you know, people will be what they are, I suppose. Just put NeoFetch in your bash rc or something like that Mm -hmm. that's true yeah oh yeah it takes um it takes a few keystrokes to turn it off and i think uh um that's that's the easier way to do it yeah Mm -hmm. it is considerably more keystrokes to go complain about it on twitter though i mean i like i like having it because within that information is you know if i've got updates to install or you know because i've been known to ssh into these things when i'm on the road and if it's got important updates, I I can go ahead and run them from there. And it's you're a braver useful. man than I. Uh, I. I wait till I get home. <laughs> well, if it's something that like if I feel like the last update might have gimped something a little bit, I might pay attention for the next one to come out. If I'm waiting on a specific problem to be fixed, then right. Um, but I always use Tmux. Yeah, pro tip: if you're gonna shoot, I'm three. I'm three feet away from it and if i ssh from this thing i'll run it in tmux because god knows what'll happen you know um but yeah that's what i got on these this is a pi 400 and it's running mintcast.org right now and it's doing it fabulously um off camera is a rock pro 64 that's what's running 
our website ah. because um, I was using it as a NAS for the longest time. The problem with some of these uh, OT, uh, SBCs that are from companies like Pine64 that, you know, the software ecosystem just isn't quite there as well as it is on the yeah. uh, on the Pies. But then there's a Pi4 down here. That's running my 3Fat Truckers website, and that's running fabulous. And then I got two zeros. Uh, one's one of those two uh, zero two Ws, oh, and the other one's just a plain. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that It's light years ahead of the old Pi Zero. Now, I've yeah. actually got a full fleshed-out website running on that Pi Zero with 512 megs of RAM and mm-hmm. single core, and it's not the fastest thing in the world, but it works. And I just threw a, like a little blog site up there just to just to see how well it would perform as a web server. So far, right. it's it's fine, you know. Um, two laptops. One I take on the road's got Arch XFCE, and I took advantage. Um, one thing that's in the new installer for Arch, you can almost get by with far less know-how with Arch than you ever ca- uh, could in the past, because that Arch install well, script is installing actually installing it. You can. Uh, but, well, uh, uh, the moment you run into a problem, uh, you got to go running to the forum, unless you've got <laughs> the know-how. It's, I think the problems, it might have been overstated, but it does happen from time to time. The last thing I remember was, what, about eight months ago, they pushed some update for Grub, and it oh, broke yeah, everybody's yeah. Um, boot partition, whatever. And then after the fact, they said, oh, yeah, here's what you do to fix that. Yeah. So it yeah, does Endeavor happen. OS came out pretty quickly with a with a, a fix for the community. Yeah. I think anybody could use it because Endeavor OS is really just Arch. With as far a, as a, I'm aware, it was due to Arch shipping a Git release of Grub, which is an interesting yeah. choice. But it's also a very Arch choice. Yeah, I was gonna say right, like it's a thing that happens in Arch. Uh, that that's the risk you take. Yeah, when you have you run to be something like that. You got to be willing to take those risks, and you got to be. I, but you know, in my case, it was. I enjoyed the process of learning these things and having that full control. Another thing is, and I know there's ways of achieving this with other distributions, but on machines that I've got on the road, they really, I need them to not be doing anything online that I don't explicitly tell it to do. Yeah. You know, I can't have it going and updating the repos and all that in the background, you know, when I'm, when I'm tethering it to my phone or whatever. And, Arch is the only way I've been absolutely sure that I knew how to stop it from doing that. So, and then the other laptop I keep here at home, that's got Arch Plasma on it. And I think I'm getting ready to switch that to something else because I'm just not happy with the way it, it's, it's got one of those Optimus, NVIDIA, Intel things going on in it. And I don't know, the support for that's kind of dodgy. I think I've heard you some. Really, yeah. to, in order to run... I think I've heard some good things about uh, Optimus and PopOS. Yeah, I'm I'm running the Optimus manager right now, but it means it basically means that you can't use Wayland. And I'm not 100% sure I'm excited about using that, but I mean it's it's a limitation that uh they don't seem to be interested in working beyond. So I'm thinking about trying something um I was going to try uh, Ubuntu Unity because that seems to be 
to this day the best 4K. See, that's the other thing. It's got one of those 4K 15-inch monitors because that makes sense. Um, and so you gotta, you either have to set it for 4K and then use the fractional scaling at like 200% to make it look normal, but then some elements don't respond to the um, fractional scaling and some applications don't respond. Like Audacity doesn't respond to it at all because it, as of right now, it's based on WX widgets and I just don't, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or I'm not sure how whatever. much of that depends on the desktop environment. I have a device with uh, a IDPI screen where I just use Fedora with GNOME and on 200%. And most things, every, basically everything looks fine. A couple of apps don't. They have, they can't uh, be upscaled properly. But I think that's because they are excellent. Mm. Which is another thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I really love me some Wayland. But I also haven't uh, had a device with hybrid graphics since I switched to Linux. Yeah, the... um. The pixel doubling, the the two hundred percent, isn't a fraction, so it's yeah. not fractional scaling. It's just well, uh, okay. yeah, it's just scaling up. But um, X Wayland should whatever app is run through X Wayland should, as long as you do not have fractional scaling turned on in GNOME, respect the two hundred and not end up blurry. Yeah, it does. But when they, you turn on the fractional yeah. scaling, the ability to do it, not even choose a fraction, the ability to uh, choose a fraction will after the first reboot will make everything blurry. Yeah, I experienced that even if I even if I set it back to 20%, they were blurry, I had to turn off fractional scaling support to get them to be not blurry again. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I think I think you and I were having the conversation about it. Um and that's that's when I figured it out a few months ago. Um well, and yeah, it's kind of annoying. Uh, I've heard, but I've also heard good things about elementary OS having a very smart uh, way of uh, scaling. Yes, they yeah. probably do the best non-scaling scaling that you can do because they don't actually scale. They just pump up like the the, the actual size. pixel density of everything. So like when you when you go in and and uh, like up the font scaling, everything else respects that as well. Like in in GNOME, if you were to do you know one hundred percent scaling and then pump up the fonts or something like that, everything looks too small. In Elementary, however. When you pump up that font scaling, the title bars grow with the font in the right proportion, as opposed mm. to just saying, all right, text is bigger, have fun. I just remembered one more thing that I came across on uh, the tablet. I have 200%, I just that I run GNOME with 20% on it, is that when I'm opening uh, images in the GNOME image viewer, oh yeah, 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 they will also be twice as big. It will, let's say, it's a, let's say it's a 500, it's a 512 by 512 image. And if I have 20% scaling on, it will show up as a 1024 by 1024 image, mm -hmm. but it will still say it's at 100% scale. So if I want to view the image at uh, its real scale, I have to... 50%. Zoom it. I have to go to fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. I assume that's yeah. not a thing. But, but elementary the, because of how they do things. I think so. I think you're correct on that. But what's funny about that is that not even Windows and Mac really do that either. So um, I mean, yeah. elementary's winning. Four <laughs> K is a bit of a gimmick even to this day. With but that laptop just happens to be four K. I do have a 1080p screen. I think I told everybody the story of me 
Maybe, maybe at the 15 smoke. inches, but I'll tell you, at, at 24 inches or, shoot, even 16, 17 inches, uh, anything nearing 4K or something that you have to pixel double to get it to look the right proportion and size, mm. uh, it's not a gimmick. That is some smooth well, okay. imaging, man. Let's say that it's a gimmick on laptops then. Yeah, uh, I, I guess you could say. Oh, I, I'm just saying because I've got a 16-inch MacBook Pro for work and... Uh, going to a 1080p screen at the same size? Nope. You can tell. I mean, I can, I can see that's probably, that makes sense because I had a 17-inch Toshiba that I sent off to Joe and he never got it. Um, oh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I told the story on Mintcast. I sent him this 17-inch Toshiba because I just wasn't using it anymore. It had a 1080p screen and it was fine, but yeah, it seems like maybe 2K would have been a little bit better uh, but I yeah. sent him that, and it got mixed up in transit with somebody's Amazon return. So oh. what Joe received on the other end was a real nice um, USB connectable uh, turntable record player. That's cool. That, yeah, it's got. Oh, it is. It's a nice one too. <laughs> it's over two hundred bucks. It's got the speakers, and then the USB to where you can presumably just hook it up to a pc and then use well, something like vlc to capture it or as long as you can run linux on it then all's fair right <laughs> right <laughs> maybe it already does run linux <laughs> i don't think i don't so. know if he's sold it yet or not he's he said so. so presumably that laptop i sent him is leaning up against a wall in a amazon return center somewhere probably someone and, someone when they order that turntable is going to get a really nice laptop yeah yep so well, anyway, uh, you guys have any predictions for the new year? or um... uh, Linux will continue to exist. Linux right. is too big to fail, you, should, you could say. Too big to fail. Mm, because it's the too entire... open source to fail. Yeah, it, the entire world is running Linux at this point. Yeah, well, actually, you know, you know, you could make that argument, right? Because there are so many companies that rely on Linux that yeah. uh, they wouldn't allow it to fail. They might they might uh try and take it over or something like that, right? Like if if everybody abandoned it, right? Uh these companies would figure out a way to keep it going. Or maybe they would try forking forever. it before they try to take it over. Right, right, what, right, right. For, um forking Linux. Yeah, maybe Amazon, Microsoft and Google will end up with their own forks of Linux if the main Linux project would ever happen to go away. Yeah. I, I suppose because they did it with OpenSSL back in the day, right? Like nobody cared yeah. about actually updating it or anything like that. Everybody used OpenSSL and then when you ended up was was a heartbleed maybe? Um mm -hmm. and it basically uh broke encryption on all the websites everywhere because everybody used a specific version of OpenSSL by and large. Uh then then everybody put their money where their mouth was, but um and even then, and even now, I think uh they could probably use some additional love yeah, I wish they would too, because I've got I've got a bunch of machines over here using it. Yeah, because I, everything I've got sitting behind a uh, reverse proxy, and in order to do all the resolving behind the proxy, you've got to have self-signed certificates. So, well, I suppose well, I've got Cloudflare up in front of all that stuff too. So maybe I'm sorted. I don't know. Yeah, that remains to be seen. Um, well, well, one prediction that I'm going to make is that I am probably going to step up my networking game because listening to all of your hosting and uh, Leo's setup that he talks about on LAS, that I really do have to take up to set up to step up my networking game because the 
the most advanced thing I have is my old laptop running as a home server that I only SSH into from within the house, so I don't really host anything. Maybe I should try to get one of those mini PCs or a Raspberry Pi and do something with that. If, if you're hosting for yourself, make it easy on yourself and just use Tailscale. Mm-hmm. But if you're hosting say, for the web, then, I mean, you know, yeah. Tailscale is one easy way to solve the how do I connect to it from outside my network problem yeah. because when you're when you're at home your your IP address is dynamic you know there's there's other options you could use a dynamic DNS and get yourself the cool thing about that is you can get yourself a free domain uh, you mean through a, like you mean du- a static DNS well it's dynamic it it's uh, called dynamic DNS and what it does is it kind of works with cron to go and curl a little something and execute a little something to update your DNS on the internet. That way you can point and you, you set up the uh, domain name on, on their site and then, you know, point your server towards that. And you, the server will run a little script every five minutes or so to make sure that the, the, the IP address hasn't changed. And if it did, it dynamically updates uh-huh. With the the records on on uh, online. Okay, yeah, my sense. favorite was uh, afraid.org, and they had like a laundry list of second level domains that you could choose from. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like if you had if you found on that website you found fruit.org or something, you could have norbert.fruit.org, and then that would be your home on the internet, but free, right? So right. Yeah, or so. you could add as many A records as you want. You know, just to. Like if you wanted to run a Jellyfin server and maybe a web server, I don't know, a Nextcloud, obviously you could put like Norbert Nextcloud dot, I don't know, duckdns.net or something like that. Mm. So you don't have to have a static IP. I've got a static IP here just to simplify things, but it's not necessarily the only option. And like Leo said, Tailscale. I've never used it. I can't really comment on how easy it is, but everybody that has used it seems to love it. It seems to solve all the problems because even even if you use dynamic DNS, you'll still have to poke a hole in your uh, NAT for ports 443 and 80. That way uh, it'll resolve back to whatever server you're wanting to connect to. Yeah, it's like Hamachi back in the day. I used to use that for yeah, playing local area network games with friends well, that were over the Well, good times. Well, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of good times. Um because Minecraft Command servers. and Conquer was um, ran better over a LAN game than it did directly connecting to each other over dial-up. So, uh, yeah, weird. Good old dial-up. I know, right? And when, when I got cable, it was great. Everything uh, kind of evened out. But I think that's back to Norbert's point, right? We got to the point where it didn't matter how slow or fast anything was. We had the, the big, huge pipe to not care. So Yeah. Yeah. There's a video on YouTube called Software, I think it's called Software in Decline. There, uh, I'm not sure how who the speaker is, but he talks about how software improving gets less and less important with hardware improving, which I, I well, it's, which, yeah, which I mentioned when I was talking about AI and, and things like that. Yeah, I think I think it's all going to be a, uh, a moot point anyway here pretty soon. J- Chat GPT is going to be writing the rest of our software from here on out. Because not <laughs> troll, only troll, troll. can it speak English, it can speak C++. So you just tell it exactly what you want to. And all you got to do is take the code that Chat GPT gives you and then polish that turd into full-fledged software. So you just take it the last 5% of the way. 
but chat gpt kind of does the heavy lifting for you so how do we feel about that on whole i feel sorry for programmers <laughs> not really i i think um i think it's just going to make their jobs easier yeah uh, so i mean i think it'll likely be a net good um but just like ai art you're gonna have a lot of people in that field not liking it for a good long time until you realize you can't put the genie back in the bottle and then no. you just learn how to live with it it's the same thing as uh, when agriculture was uh, transitioning from manual labor to automated and machinery and stuff like that it's it's an obvious next step in our, in the evolution of these things i think is i mean having a tool there's nothing new about having a tool that makes a little lighter weight of the heavy lifting yeah that needs to be done and then the human can uh work harder on the things that he, humans are good at let let the machines do the things that machines are good at and the humans do the things that humans are good at yeah and we could probably come up with even more ideas for well, better here, here's, software here's why i think it's going to be a net good uh i mean what is what is the one complaint about uh linux in general is uh there's not enough software there or the software that i want isn't on linux the um, other big so thing is hardware chat, support not cheap. being pre-installed on a lot of devices well sure okay right uh but i mean <laughs> when you get there when you're on linux you've passed the, the hardware hurdle um that's it right like this thing that i like is not there so um now it is exponentially easier as far as chat gpt is concerned to get that software there because as long as you've got a knack for this for the programming um 80 percent is done for you already you just ask it, it negates that barrier that some proprietary software companies have where you know it's not worth their uh investment in, ter in terms of time and manpower to support platforms like linux because the number of users would be presumably uh lower than that which would make it cost effective well if you've got ai doing all that work you know it it makes it 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 adds no uh takes no resources away from the company and that maybe that'll mean more proprietary software on the Linux side. I don't think it'll mean proprietary software uh, because what we've learned, at least in the U.S., is uh, there have been a couple of judges who have um, uh, ruled against copyright on, like, AI art. So I would suppose that would extend to software as well. So you can't copyright it because you didn't write it. Uh, so uh, the, the case that was brought up was the case of the monkey that uh, took a photographer's camera and then took a selfie i was just about then, to talk about that yeah and then and then that uh and then the person that owned the camera tried to claim ownership copyright over that particular photo couldn't do it because the monkey took the photo and it was i mean as far as everything is concerned an inanimate object or whatever uh so you couldn't copyright it now it's just public domain so you can create a whole lot of good open source software with chat gpt but you're not going to be able to do proprietary stuff because you can't copyright it Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. It's so be, even if it, you're just porting over proprietary software on Windows to Linux because of the because of the well, partly because of the technology it's using to do that work, um it I guess what you're saying is it wouldn't be legal to make that proprietary then. Yeah, I think so. I think uh Stallman won. <laughs> <laughs> 
Everything oh, has that, to be. If you're going to start out that that 80%, I guess what you can do is copyright the last mile of whatever code you do to to refine that. Um, that is something you can likely copyright um, or put some kind of license, proprietary license on. But outside of that, I don't know, man. That, that base code is going to be out there. Well, mm. in terms of image generation, if you train an AI on an image set of which you all own the copyrights for, then I think you can copyright whatever the the AI generates because if you only used things that you own to uh, to train it, then I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be possible to... What? Well, you didn't make it, though. That, that, I think, is the point about all of this, though, is that the monkey made the photo, which is yes. why it can't be copyrighted. Yes, but the photograph... The AI made the photo, which is why you can't which is why you can't copyright. Yes, but what if the, but AI, if the you only thing the, the AI does? Yes, but if you made yeah. the AI, the photographer didn't make oh. the monkey. So wait, 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 wait. So, so we created the monkey that in turn took a photo of himself. Is that what you're saying? So we invented. Well, the monkey. no, but if let's say a company like uh, Amazon, who I assume sell a lot of stock stock uh, image images, created their own AI, and they just fed all of their stock images into it that they already own and it created new images so they created they own the ai and they own all the images that they use to train it then i don't see a reason not to let them own the outcome the generated image it's gonna be it's gonna be if sticky. everything yes. happens in-house within amazon then what comes of it out of it what if the only thing that the AI does is snap up a package, uh, a proprietary mean? piece of software, or just turns it into a flat pack ah. to where you still got the proprietary bits in? Well, it didn't write any code. Uh, it, no, it, it just wrote the manifest to stick it to stick it into Snapcraft or into FlatHub or something like that. I don't, right. That doesn't change the license even when a human does it. Yeah. So I suppose so that, that'd be fine. Yeah. There. Yeah. There you go, Adobe. Well, Since right, because humans the... already do that particular process, right? And uh, um, yeah, nothing, nothing really changes. They automate that process. It's now just you know mm -hmm. GitHub uh, actions that spit out a thing and then give it straight to wherever it needs to go. Since we're right on the on. topic of AI, does anyone have any pre predictions regarding AI? For this I think year? we're going to see a whole lot of crappy software come out. In People the next are going to take Chat GPT and make all kinds of silly crap out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, because um, it can already write GUI programs. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're going to find a bunch of programs that do something useful, likely, because it's going to solve somebody's problem. But I think overall, like, accessibility might not be there. Um, usability might not even fully be there. Privacy. Forget um, about it. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, like, looking at the software, like, uh, text will flow off of buttons and things like that. It's not very good at that yet. So, so you're saying I can tell ChatGTP to take Discord and re rewrite it to use a more recent version of Electron that can actually properly run on Valent. Uh, if you well, had the source I suppose code, you could. The, the Discord code's not open, so yeah. I don't know that ChatGPT right. would have... Uh, but maybe you could do that with Video Ninja or something else that is open, possibly. I don't know. Um, but simple GUI programs, and I think emphasis on the simple, um, are possible with ChatGPT today. So maybe in the future you will goes. maybe in the future you will be able to take an audio only recording and AI generate a video feed for it. Oh, you can do that already. 
As long as you've got, uh, you know, five, ten seconds of somebody doing, you know, kind of this or whatever. Um, yeah, because we can already make deep fakes. Yeah. And that's all that is, is just moving the lips to the words. Yeah, and but deep, it won't be perfect, but it'll be there. Yeah, but in a deep fake, you take all the facial expressions and remap them into the new face. But if you just have the audio, then the AI would have to guess what facial expression to use based on the, the tone of the voice and things like that. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's not going to be perfect, but I mean, we can already AI generate people. Mm. So I, I we don't. We could make this show into an far. anime. What's that? We could all we could we could make this show into an anime. Oh yeah, well all... that's that's totally already there, right? Um, you got to do a lot of the rigging <laughs> yourself, but uh, there is an open source VTuber thingy that you can oh, wow. stick an anime person in, and then map it to your facial features and call it good. And now now we're just uh, now we're all uwu together. <laughs> cool well yeah so ai that's going to be the thing to watch uh, actually i think i have you... a linux uh, prediction leo do you know do you happen to know whether ubuntu 23.04 defaults to wayland on nvidia with the nvidia driver I think... Ooh, with the nvidia driver i would guess not uh but mm. now would be the time to test it so yeah, because Fedora did that last year, sometime in yeah. one of the releases last year. And NVIDIA asked uh, Canonical to revert the change last minute, so Ubuntu wouldn't default to Wayland on NVIDIA. Yeah, the, the suspect... interim 04 is when all of the crazy stuff happens. So if they're going to swap it to Wayland, it would be that one. Well, if it yeah. doesn't happen in 2304, I have a strong feeling it will finally happen in 2310. So mm. I guess that's my prediction. I, w I, yeah. I really wanted to have a Wayland prediction because I am really a fan of Wayland and where it's going. Well, I may be there, biased oh, because... I have a prediction. You mean, you mean X12? Yeah, <laughs> X12. I, I, I may be biased because when I moved to Linux, because it, I'm on the Intel graphics, I just used Wayland from day one without knowing what it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I, I have a prediction about me. Uh, I won't be moving to Wayland full-time in 2023 uh, oh. because both mint and elementary use x i suppose for the most part i will move over to it when clem decides it's a good idea yeah pretty much uh and then when uh when danielle tries it then uh then yeah then then yeah, yeah. likely it'll be one of those two clem or danielle one of them i think when they do it i've read uh some statements or post something about from the elementary team i may be wrong about them well, I know they're working about on it, yeah. them really wanting to move to Wayland eventually. Sure. But as far as I know, we haven't really heard anything from the Mint side about Wayland. Well, no, we have, and it's that Clem doesn't deem it a priority. Okay. So it's on the back burner. It's there. Uh, there there are um, requests and that, that have had some traction, but it, it, X is not going anywhere. So uh, and, and Mint is a very conservative distro, so... Not in 2023. And I wonder if I wonder if it's fleshed out good enough anyway, because when I... Oh, it's well, not. It's not. They haven't uh, done the work. I don't think... I'm not sure if OBS works really well on... It works on, okay. Uh, yeah. There, there, are, there are still some paper cuts breaker. with OBS, um, but OBS definitely works better on X, I think. At now least for me, in, in, in my experience. Now's the time to place your bets. Will XFCE or Cinnamon get valent support? Full way Ooh, support cinnamon. first. Cinnamon. Well, because cinnamon. I've, they have, a, the XFC team have already started working on it. 
and yeah, they they, were, they also gradually uh, ported their XFC apps to Valent. Does does not it? I mean, I don't know the answer to this question. I'm just musing. But does not the X in XFCE mean X? No. So it'd no. have to be W. No, what does X stand for then? Well, not well. XFC used to be a X face, X a face for X. Oh look! Uh, now, it, now we're all googling it now. Uh, because I know it for like ten minutes and then I, I forget. Uh, X forms. X forms is an XML format. Is that what I'm looking mm-hmm. for? X forms common environment. It means, but uh, it it no longer stands for anything. That's why it's no longer all caps. XFC is not all caps. Interesting. No, it's not. GNOME is, but XFC is yeah, not. Yeah, but GNOME also doesn't stand for anything anymore, I think. It's, they just retroactively... Right, right. It used to be like the GNU network object model something or another. I don't uh, know environment. What it was, but environment, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm still a fan of XFCE and... Ooh, I am not. Um, Just because, like, it just breaks half the time i close my lid eh, it doesn't feel like uh doesn't feel like sleeping right now and then when i open the lid eh, it doesn't feel like waking up and i try to connect another monitor to monitor to it and it's like eh, i'm just not going to display on that thing or i'm not going to give you the resolution that um that, that is possible on your monitor when then i swap over to any other desktop environment and have uh all of that stuff work uh, yeah i could i suppose i can't argue that because the one machine i'm running it on with Arch, I never close the lid and tell it to sleep. It's either running or it's not. Well, if I and explicitly a... tell it to sleep, it will do that. Um, but whether it wakes up or not is kind of hit or miss. Hmm. I haven't tried XFC on my laptop, but I was running it on my desktop for a year because of NVIDIA. And I recently made the jump to GNOME, GNOME uh, Valent. If XFC gets full valent support, I will probably try it again. But uh, mm. I I eventually left XFC because of because uh, because I felt because I wanted to move to Valent. Yeah, yeah. But I, I will forever XF, XFC will forever have a special heart special place in my heart because mm. I was on my laptop using Linux and then I installed it on my desktop and I had some issues. And I thought maybe changing desktop environments would solve it. That's when I went from GNOME to XFC, and I just we just we just got each other with XFC. Hmm. Uh, the window placement, uh, the window management is a lot closer to what I want on XFC than on GNOME. But then I found the GNOME extension, which is not uh, auto tiling, not like PopShell, but it's uh, an ex- it's uh, it extends GNOME's uh, built-in uh, window placement, window tiling abilities. So you can cool. tile windows, to, you can drag them to the corner of the screen. You can have them in a grid, like not just the two by two, but maybe a three by two. And if you resize the the window sides, they will move together. It's kind of neat. That's cool. So here, here's another prediction. Uh, vanilla OS will steal a whole lot of Ubuntu users um, and maybe even Fedora users, Alpine users, and uh, Arch users as well. They're now 80, refresh my memory. That's just a no snaps. No, it's no an immutable extra stuff on uh, top of GNOME. It's an immutable. It's its own implementation. It's its own. Uh, it's not an implementation. Really. It's its own take on immutability. It's an on-demand yeah. immutable distro because you can turn the immutability on and off. You can. Oh. You can. And I, I and, guess it's 
Here's my favorite feature is APX. So if you're not familiar, APX is basically a way to build containers on the fly using Podman. And by the way, you don't do any of this. You just go APX install dash dash uh, like DNF and then the package you want to install. And then this Ubuntu-based atomic distro will reach out to the Fedora repositories, pull the software down, install it in the container, and then give it to you in a menu. Oh, so it's like so dist- you, it's like DistroBox then? Yeah, maybe. I don't. I'm not familiar with DistroBox. Well, but, DistroBox um, is you do nothing. So if any step in DistroBox requires you to create a box yourself, no. Because APX does it all for you. You need just an additional dash dash AUR or DNF or uh, APK or uh, APT, I think, for uh, for Ubuntu. Does but you're able to freely install. What's that? XBPS for void? No, no. Because you have, you have the ability to use Arch, and I think uh, Arch tends to have a little bit more software available. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I mean, you know, I I don't think that it would be a huge, insurmountable uh, challenge to add XBPS to it, because that all it's doing is pulling down the software and building a container to run it in. Uh, but seamlessly, though, that's the thing. It's seamless. You install it with the same difficulty that you install software in Ubuntu on the command line. That's it. Apt install whatever. Instead of apt, it's apx, and you add a dash dash wherever you want the software to come from. Yeah. And that's it. And since it'll it's, run it. Since it's based on Ubuntu and Ubuntu is also transitioning to Piper. So I assume whenever is vanilla was uh, does it have a stable release yet? Uh I'm it's based on twenty three right or whatever kinetic. It's based on kinetic, whatever that one is. I think I think it that already has Piper. So I assume uh, if it uh, when it becomes stable, when vanilla was becomes stable, it will have pipeware. So it uh, really does sound appealing to me as well. But I'm not, I'm not really big on on Debian based distros. I have Debian on my on my laptop because I wanted to have something that's static and doesn't get feature updates. But well, the, I, the cool thing about this is that the the updates are atomic and you can roll them back. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, it's it's it, there's a built in way to yeah. fix that. It kind of make reminds me of NixOS more than any other in, uh, immutable distro. Yeah, you, because yeah, of you because can of the, compare it to that because of the on-demand immutability aspect. I, I do wonder how if you install the same package from two different repos, how that's handled in the menu. Not, I mean, in the container, obviously they're separate, but in the menu, uh, will it just be two exactly identical icons sitting next to each other? Well, the way Distrobox does it is it has the app name and then in in brackets, the the container oh, name. So if I that might be how yeah. they handle it. Yeah. So if I yeah. am on I, if I'm on Fedora and I have a container named uh, Bullseye for Debian Bullseye, and if I install, for example, Tuner, it will be Tuner brackets Bullseye or Debian or whatever I name the container. You know, I noticed Cinnamon does that because I had yep, Audacity. With the flat pack. Yeah, yeah, because I had it installed it from the repo, and then when I installed it from the flat pack, it put the bracketed uh, flat mm-hmm. pack word in the menu and then what's cool though is that once i got rid of the repo version of audacity they took it took away the only when it needs to be yeah yeah that is a very nice detail yeah yeah so the one thing about uh vanilla os this is why it's a prediction and not a today it's happening um apx isn't ready um i i installed 
I tried to install something from each of the repositories and everyone failed. But a APX also allows you the ability to do what they call sideloading, which is just installing a deb. Um, and doing that also failed. Uh, dependencies were not there in the base system. Uh, so I suppose sideloading doesn't actually put it, put anything in a container. Um, so yeah, I was never able actually to install software on APX, uh, using APX. So when they iron it out, uh, I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. And, uh, yeah, that, that might be the only thing that could, that could take me away from Mint or, uh, oh. uh, Elementary is APX so is actually this... working. Uh, is this like Nix, NixOS in that it's declarative uh, no. when you set it up the first time, or no. is it just... It yeah, works okay. the way you expect. It works like Ubuntu does uh, as far as configuring things up. Okay. You know what would be really cool? Like, I assume that VanillaOS will also have various uh, spins with different desktop environments eventually. Yeah, maybe. So what would um, be cool is having VanillaOS with Pantheon. I, th I, I think what will happen instead is APX will just make it into the different distros. And then you won't need to have spins of vanilla. You just add it where you want it. Just like you can do um, Nix, right? Yeah. Like you can add Nix to anything and then take advantage of Nix and its repositories. Yes, um, and I if think you, that's what's going to happen with APX. Yeah, and if you add Nix to a different distro, it doesn't manage your system. It just manages your applications that you want to install. Exactly, just so, like APX would, yes. So then can you add... Will you be able to add APX to a non-immutable distro and just install and use it as a container manager? I cannot answer that question uh, because I am not Mirko Brombin, but uh, I would suppose, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't see if, if APX is portable, it's just it's just bringing over Podman with it and then creating containers as you install software. There's mm -hmm. really not much to manage at that point. Um, so yeah. I've been using the, the distro box. I've been using Distrobox for this purpose because I'm on Fedora and uh, there's a lot of bio biology related tools in the Debian repos that I wanted to have access to. So I just spun up a, a Debian container, a Debian Distrobox. What's interesting about the Debian and Ubuntu repos is that there's a lot of packages, but a huge chunk of those packages is the highly specialized tool tools for research and stuff, which is, yeah. which I really like the fact that there is a, a curated repository when you can go to get all that stuff and not have to hunt down all the devs and RPMs from the developers' repos and websites. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. And that, that is one thing that APX will let you do uh, on any distro, I suppose, if it ever gets ported. Would be I'm nice. I'm starting to warm up to the idea of an immutable system because it it's taking me some time because I really like tinkering with the system. And the reason I got interested in XOS is that it is sort of immutable because it's a declarative system. So it lets you tinker with the system, but once it's built, it is as it is, and it's it's uh, sort of unmovable, unmodifiable. So does that mean like, uh, so like in Nobara, I think, right? Is the Fedora immutable one? Uh, no, that's uh, not Silver immutable. Blue, Silver Blue, yeah. yeah. Nobara is yeah. a is a fork of Fedora. It, I mean, it's a Fedora-based system that is maintained by Glorious Agrol. It has its own repositories. Oh. It has its own builds of uh, things like uh, Proton and Steam and Bottles and, and things like that. Okay, but so yeah. Silver Blue, right? Yeah. Um, so when you want to make a change to the way that, uh, say, Pulse works or, um, right, yeah, just, just take Pulse, for instance. Um, 
it is an immutable system. So does that mean that I cannot go in you, and uh, change a configuration file and reboot and it still stay? As far as I know, it's uh, it's called layering file systems. So the modifications you make, uh, you have the base image of the system that is atomically installed, oh. and then you can layer stuff on top of that, not with DNF, but with, uh, I think it's called RPM OS 3. So can, okay, so you, you can then likely back up that layer. And then, so you would install Fedora again, or, you know, roll back or whatever, and then put that layer on top, and then you would be good. I would assume so. Yeah, that's cool. That's pretty cool. And speaking of Silverblue, uh, Fedora have announced that there will be an official Sway spin for Fedora and a Sway version of Fedora, a Sway oh, yeah, 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 and an immutable Fedora. So the the Fedora Silverblue family, I'm not sure what to call it because there's a Silverblue, the Skin White, all of them have different names. So there will be an official uh, Fedora spin with Sway. As well as immutable, as well as an immutable Swaver one. Blue. Sway. Well, I th- no, I think Swaver they already they, they already have a name, which is the name of a tree that kind of looks like the Sway logo if you look at it. Um, oh. But yeah, there will be an immutable one as well. So because oh. I'm I'm running Sway, that might get me to try an immutable system because uh, I wasn't I haven't tried Silver Blue Light yet because I just like Sway so much. But if it's if yeah. you've an option, I may just jump. Pretty cool. I've not jumped on that bandwagon yet. Um, I'm thinking about trying it. It'd be a good option for my take on the road machine. I don't know. I'm getting ready to do some nuke and paving just for the fun of it. As to when, I don't know. <laughs> um, I made predictions on on Mintcast that I I'll probably just mirror over here about Ubuntu and ZFS support because the thought is that. Ubuntu is quietly moving away from their ZFS support. Oh, that's not a thought. That's happening. Well, what's not clear to me, and maybe you would know better, um, does that mean simply that they're not going to have the option to install on a root pool? Yeah. 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 Okay. So they're still going to, have they made it clear whether they're going to continue to develop the in-tree kernel module? I don't see any reason why they wouldn't continue doing ZFS that way. Uh, ZFS yeah. is important. What I think they're distancing themselves from is installing the OS on ZFS. So ZFS on root, I think, is the only thing that's going to be changing. Uh, okay. As far as I could see, that's all. Um, that's all that'll be changing. But ZFS will still be supported in Ubuntu. It would be cool too. Well, that's good because it would be cool to see them embrace ButterFS. Erase it? Yeah. Embrace. Embrace it. Oh, embrace yeah. it. Got it. Oh, okay. I was like, no, don't Offer do that. I like a, ButterFS. Well, yeah, because everything, pretty much everything I've got is installed on ButterFS. And uh, it would be nice to have proper installation options for creating the the uh, sub, or what do they call it? Subdirectories or the, oh, whatever, the, the sub names. And then the... Uh, the snapshots right there during installation uh, for ButterFS. That way you can do it correctly because as it is right now, I don't... I think you can use ButterFS as an installation option, but you don't have the... Sub-volumes. 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 Okay, I, I, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those don't get created in Ubuntu, nor do they get created in Mint, um, yeah. which is kind of sad. You can do it manually, but it is a bit of a manual process. So uh, I think for me... Um, yeah, 
it's it's tough it's hard Wait, to so so does it done. does it just install everything on the partition itself or does it create a yeah. single sub volume and put things there because it, if it you... does create two sub volumes it creates okay. at and at home oh uh, Fed- so i mean that's all that fedora does as well and uh, Ooh, fedora creates a lot no no by default fedora creates well I've only checked this in Fedora 34. It created mm. an EFI partition. It created an EXT4 boot partition, and then it created the ButterFS partition with only two subvolumes boot and. You gotta uh, try the new Fedoras because that is different now. Okay, uh, they have so it's, uh, SRD yeah, they and do var. A, they so do an at var. So it's at, similar to it's what smarter. what uh, OpenSUSE does. Uh, yeah, and I think in they also have do a dozen subvolumes. Very. Uh-huh. OpenSUSE, I think it's like a Swiss army knife. A lot of people know that it's great and useful, but not many people actually ha- have one. Because for <laughs> the same reason that people don't do Fedora, it's it's a slog to get it set up because not everything is available out of the box. You, I mean, it does not pass the Netflix test whenever you first install it. And then having to go in and, oh, well, how do you fix that? Oh, well, now you got to install RPM Fusion. Well, now you got to do... All these other additional repositories, uh, what is it, Cobra, Com, whatever it is, Copper. Uh, Copper, that's Copper, Copper, yeah. Copper. Yeah, yeah. So, Which like, you have to I do all of this stuff to make for, it work. I think Copper literally stands for Cool Other Package Repo. <laughs> Probably. Uh, that, that sounds about right for the Linux community. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that there's an uphill battle after you get through the uphill battle of installing it in the first place. Uh, is what turns a lot of people off. It doesn't mean that people won't use it because obviously they will, um, but that some people will not because of that. And I think OpenSUSE has the same problem, but Gecko fixes that, which is interesting. And I suppose Nobara probably fixes a yeah. lot of that too on the Fedora side. I tried Gecko recently and it creates, it, it, if you choose, but I think it does ButterFS by default. By default. But if you, yes, and it sets up uh, various uh, subvolumes. What I mm-hmm. what I would like to see in Gecko is uh, the ability to manually set up subvolumes because it created subvolumes that I not necessarily want and it didn't create ones that I, uh, that I would want. So it's a really nice uh, default, but I would love to see a way in Calamares to customize this subvolume layout. Yeah. Which you and, can. And that's a Calamares thing. That's not a Gecko yeah, thing. Yeah. So, I mean, the yeah, the, the request needs to go to a yeah. different group. That's the thing uh, I really like. The coolest thing about Gecko, though, is that it's not really its own thing. It's that it's just OpenSUSE with configuration. That's yeah, it. when you install it, it doesn't even say Gecko, it says OpenSUSE. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but that's one thing that I really like in in the Anaconda instead of Fedora, the current one, not the new uh, web-based one. Actually, that's that's my unpopular opinion, that I actually like the current Anaconda installer. I don't... Uh, maybe, oh, I do too. I, yeah, it's I, fine. It's not like linear. It's never yeah, bothered me. I, I like it. it. Once you get used to it, it's nice. And I like that it has quite a few options for uh, I mean there's three different ways to partition there's the automatic there's the manual and there's the advanced one what I found is that the advanced one is actually a lot more straightforward and easier to use than the the second option a lot of people criticize yeah. the the simple uh, manual partitioning because it's confusing the be live IT and I'm not sure how to pronounce that it's rigid be live it, it's not that confusing it's frustrating and rigid the advanced partitioner um 
But yeah. it works. I mean, look, you, you just have to delete the stuff that you created a couple times to get it in the right order. Otherwise, you got to, like, tinker with it to get it to move and stuff. It's frustrating. Yeah. But, but if it, I, yeah. I think overall, the installer, the, the biggest complaint everybody has about the installer is that it's not linear. And I that, actually that, that prefer it. people's brains. I kind of like it not being linear. Maybe it's just I, I, how my I'm brain fine works. with it. It's fine. Like yeah. you just click on like we're configuring disks now, so now we're in the disks thing, and so you're, you're kind of building it, and then you're almost like declaring a system on on that kind of installer where you're setting these things up, and you might get to a point where you changed your mind about how you did something. Yeah, in linear installers, you have to go on. back, 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 yeah. back, back, back. In Fedora, it's like, well, which menu item? Did you mess up? Mm. Click it. Now you're there. When you so, install yeah. Fedora Workstation, you just have a couple of options there. But uh, I usually use the net installer, which has a more options. Like uh, it, it has the user creation in the installer, not in the after uh, uh, word setup screen. And there's also options for pick and choose your software. So mm. I kind of like it being nonlinear because it's easier to see how much stuff I have left to do because everything that is still needs to be uh, setting up is marked with red. So I like the fact that after each set uh, setting screen, you go back to the main screen. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's fine. I think it's partic- perfectly fine, but they're changing it. So there I mean, was enough of an outcry. Or maybe they now think it's trash. <laughs> either either of you tried the new Flutter installer for- Not yet. No. I think I tried it. See, that's why I, I was... think I tried it once when it wasn't quite ready. See, because I was wondering if they were gonna, with this new installer, if it would be easier for them to add options like ButterFS subvolumes and setting up snapshotting and all that kind of stuff. I suppose right it's about as difficult installer. as adding it to Calamaris. I mean, uh, I would hope that they that they built that software with uh, these different file systems in mind, but yeah. also it's Ubuntu. Uh, same as with uh, with uh, CentOS and things like that, right? Like, I mean, the decision's kind of already made for you. And if you go off the beaten path, then, well, that's, that's I mean, it's an option, but we're not going to support that. So uh, if it does make it in, I, I don't know how much support it's going to have. And there's also B... Time will tell. And there's also BcacheFS, which is like ButterFS, but it's not quite like ButterFS. I don't know the, the technical details. It's also a new fire system I've heard of of good stuff about. Cool. I actually tried installing Debian with ButterFS subvolumes. And in the Debian in the Debian in the Debian Anchors installer, if you choose ButterFS, it will create one subvolume called at root fs. And then it will create, I think, uh, Etsy and Etsy slash Fstab on it before you install the system. So if you want to have uh, if you want to customize your subvolume layout in the Debian installer, you go to different TTY, get a shell, you unmount it, you mount it with without a subvolume. You go there, you create your subvolumes, you modify your FS tab, and then you mount them back to slash target. And mm-hmm. so, but I is there a distro that when you choose ButterFS doesn't create a single subvolume is what I'm wondering about. Because it's know. possible to not have any subvolumes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Arch, if you just... If you just choose, well, if you go arch the hard way and you just choose ButterFS, then yeah. Well, you don't on choose ButterFS, you create a ButterFS subvolume. So that's uh, that's yeah. not... Uh, yeah, you, you choose to use the commands to create <laughs> yeah. ButterFS. However, <laughs> the new the new installer, the arch, uh, arch install, when you choose ButterFS, it will ask you if you want subvolumes, mm-hmm. to which you say yes, because you're not a madman. 
and it creates all of the same the same sort of scheme that you would expect from open open susan and it'll also ask you if you want compression turned on that's nice so it'll it'll add the compression flag to your f stab f stab f fs table yeah f stab um <laughs> stab so yeah. uh that's actually kind of cool that's one that's one reason i immediately took to that new installer and i haven't looked back because it it did butter fs the right way which impressed me quite a bit the reason um, i haven't used it yet is that i when it when arch install wasn't a thing i put together a little um install script that uh, so if i want to install arch i will do the manual partitioning and the packstrap but once i am in the the ch root I just have a script that will set up everything for me. Uh, I think I had to modify it because uh, I use set to uncomment to uncomment the the local that I want, and uh, the number of the the line number where each local is I think changed at one point as uh, the as new arch ISOs came out, so I had to change the single number in there. Mm. I actually well have an arch install currently as well because. Uh, I want to keep testing Hyperland, which is a new Valent compositor, and I tried to install it on Void. I don't want to mess with my Fedora system. I think it's most supported on Fedora and XOS, but uh, because there's AUR, I can just build it through the AUR, and I've I found it it's not stable yet, but I found uh, it the most uh, sm- the smoothest possible experience to test it through Arch. So I've got a script on my uh, GitHub. If anybody's interested in that, that uh, does all of the updating magic for an Arch Linux install, including using Reflector to update the mirror list, and then updating the repositories, and then it updates your regular packages, and then goes over to the AUR, updates that, and then it cleans the cache, and then it updates your flat packs. And it's and it tells you what it's doing along the way, and I've got that on my GitHub. I it I've received a little bit of flack from the Arch community about that because it's they're philosophically opposed to anything easy. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're philosophically opposed to not making each and every decision, and yeah. you know automatically updating is um, opposed to that, right? Yep, and but you know. I think it's always up to the user to figure out ways to streamline. Oh, sure, that's that's why Endeavor OS workflow, exists, you know? uh, Arco, and all of these others because uh, those groups do like to automate at least some things. What yeah. if the user decides not to make every decision themselves? Then they have a really crusty old machine that uh, is vulnerable to a lot of things. Likely, still works. Um. No, I mean yeah, the user but, doesn't want to make a decision, so it just uses something that just works. Is what I mean. Oh, right. Yeah, probably, they chose Endeavor OS. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think they that, wouldn't choose Arch yeah, at all. Be, be, that that type that person. But I mean, is being able to choose not to make choices is also a valid choice. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going meta on this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's that's why choice. if for some reason uh, you're you're married to the idea of using Arch. I think someone with a predicament like that would just use one of the Arch derivatives. And if you want it to look crazy, you go Garuda. If you want it to look like nothing, well, spacey, you go Endeavor OS. If you want to learn something, you go Arco. 
Um, and I'm sure there are others out there for the extra niche groups. And but, if you I want mean, to learn something and more and more and the hard way, you stick with Arch. Yeah. Well, you work your way yeah. from Arco to Arch. That's uh, it's the only distro I know of that uh, actively tries to get users to stop using it. Yeah. My progression, well, my path of progression to Arch started with Manjaro. Oh, yeah. Which, forget about Manjaro all the time. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that, Manjaro, like I think they have like a of, uh, kind of a sort of a gaming slant. I don't really know. They they tend to be uh, everything well, they to just, everybody. They've got their own design scheme, but they it's really just, it's Arch, but with a bit more time for the packages to sit and make sure they're going to Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. It's, I, that that's good. why I forget about them all the time. And I ask this question to pretty much everybody that uh, that might use Manjaro. Does Firefox have to abide by that three-day rule of Manjaro holding back packages? Good question. I know, I know. I, I don't because use that's... Manjaro, and uh, the folks that do uh, tend, tend to not use Firefox. So uh, I don't know the answer to that question, but I suppose, unless you're getting your browser out of the AUR, uh, it does, right? I don't know that there are exceptions to that rule of the three-day wait period to make sure it doesn't blow stuff up. I know that Firefox and Chromium have exceptions in Debian where everything is static except those two browsers. Right, right, exactly. So does does Manjaro follow that uh, that idea of there are some packages that should always be up to date yeah. regardless of where it um, It's interesting how, how it's because ever since I, I switched to using the Flatpak of Firefox, I don't really think about the Firefox packages in the in the native repos of distros. Mm -hmm. Because Yeah, yeah so because if, if I were to use Manjaro and if Firefox had that three day rule, it, it had to abide by that. I'd install it with uh with Flatpak. I, I wouldn't look back. Yeah, because you want your browser up to date. That's there's no doubt about that. Yeah. So but I think, yeah, 15 or so years ago, there used to be this Arch derivative called Bridge Linux. Mm. And it installed with a kind of an Incursus-based installer. And I think their flagship desktop was XFCE, but they also had a, I think they had a GNOME version and a uh, Plasma version. But this was basically about the speed of Endeavor OS while be it perhaps not quite as well developed, um, it was basically developed by one guy. And it was, you basically had the same outcome. Once you installed it, you know, it had its own bespoke themes. And this was when we were still on GTK2, by the way. Um, but you ended up with a real Arch-based uh, uh, system. Yeah when you were done with the installer and then that that project kind of went kind of went away and then i you know i learned throughout the process of using and fixing problems on bridge you know how to manage arch myself and then inevitably just ended up installing arch but the new the new installer is, is really worth giving a try if anybody if anybody if if the installer is the barrier to entry then it's it's worth taking a look at but uh, if you're not willing to fix problems, uh, then I would stick with something else. Anyway, we better get out of here. Um, if you uh, want to get a hold of me, my uh, email is wchauser3 at gmail.com. Um, our website, as I said in the beginning, is linuxotc.org, and there will be links on that page to email uh, the show and uh, 
various ways to consume the content. Uh, Leo, where can we find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, I think, uh, at Leo Chavez, and uh, I'm also on the Mastodon, so at Leo Chavez at Mastodon.social. Right on. How about you, Norbert? I'm also on Mastodon, which I will try to use more of them, more actively. I'm at odoben at c.im, so that's O-D-O-B-E-N, and I I wanted to find an instance that has a very short URL, and it's literally just the letter C dot I-M. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I guess I'm on there, too, at WCHauser3 at Fostodon.org. Is it .org? Thanks. So. .com. Fostodon. Yeah, dot, .org, so... Anyway, we will try to make it back in a fortnight, and that's two weeks for Americans. Um, until that time, I've been Bill. I've been Leo. And I've been Norbert. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks a lot, everybody.